0: You're listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast with your host, Johnny D, the motivational cowboy. 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 As a motivational speaker, Johnny D impacts audiences around the world with his message of living the outstanding life. He's a best selling author, MC, and two time Grammy considered artist. This podcast is a place where Johnny D can introduce you to his outstanding friends and share funny, interesting, and heart provoking stories. Ladies and gentlemen, Buckle up. Here comes your host, Johnny D. -D -D. Hey, everybody. I'm Johnny D. The Motivational Cowboy. I want to welcome you to another electrifying episode of Outstanding Life. This is the podcast that's here to inspire, uplift, and ignite the flames of positivity in your life. I am absolutely thrilled to have you riding alongside me on this incredible journey towards a life that's nothing short of outstanding. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a big shout out to all my friends tuning in on Dirt Road Radio, KYDT 103.1 FM and KBFS 1450 AM. Your support means the world to us. Now, let's talk about today's episode. We've titled it Rise Above, The Strength and Resilience of Sobriety, and it's a topic that touches the hearts of many. In life, we all face challenges, and sometimes it's the inner strength and resilience that can truly make a difference. Our guest today, Gerald Valley, has an incredible story of triumph over adversity through sobriety. His journey is a testament to rise above, to overcome, and to find the power within to create an outstanding life. So get ready to be inspired, moved, and motivated as we dive deep into the world of sobriety and the incredible strength it can bring to one's life. It's going to be an unforgettable episode. So let's get started on this journey of self-discovery and empowerment. Please welcome Gerald Valley. Gerald, what's up, buddy?
1: What's happening, Johnny? Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for the kind words. (laughs) You know, I tell a lot of people you know i uh it is it is overcoming and resiliency but if if somebody walks out of a burning house and they put the the flames out on them do you cheer them and and that's the way i look at sobriety you know i i got myself into it got myself out of it not all of us can and uh i'm stoked to be on here and and share a little bit of my story
0: you know some somebody said hey have fun today doing your podcast and i said oh I don't know if it would be f- called fun because we're talking about something so personal, but I want to thank you for, sh- for, you know, coming on and sharing your story. I got to ask, I'm just going to start off by, you know, uh, can you please, um, you know, talk a little bit about your background and how you got into the world of sobriety? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I grew up in, in uh, a very active young man, you know, I was ice hockey goaltender from the age of five. Uh, and then I was into art and I got into skateboarding, punk rock. I was an adrenaline junkie. I I played all the traditional sports from, you know, like I said, from five years old. And at uh, in my early 20s, skateboarding took off. I ended up touring with uh, my idol, uh, a gentleman named Bill Danforth. And at that time, we were on the road and every night, you know, we lived like rock stars. It was like, we're going to get we're going to get tuned up. And then we're gonna wake up the next morning, and the team manager is gonna take us to the next city. We're gonna put on a skateboard demo, sign some autographs, go back to the hotel. People will bring us whatever we want. Uh, my thing was vodka. I drank for a couple years in my twenties. Realized actually, I'll, I'll share a crazy story right now that <laughs> told me it was something divine telling me you should never drink again. So I come off the road. I meet my dad. Meet up with my dad, and I was I was an alcoholic, two years deep. You know, I'd get the shakes in the morning coming off the road, Oh wow! and I met my dad uh, one day, and and I held my hand out, and it was shaking, and I said, Dad, I'm an alcoholic, and he handed me a guy's number. He, My dad's a Harley dude, and he's like, here's this gentleman's number. His name was JD, and he said, give him a call. He can help you, and I'm like, all right, cool. Well, I didn't make that call, and about three months later, it didn't get any better. It got worse, and I'm like, I need to find something. So I called the 800 number. This is, I don't even know what year, 98, 99, 2000, somewhere in there. When I call the 800 number, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, find out where there's a meeting. I walk into the meeting terrified and... For any of you listening, you know, if you ever went to your first AA meeting, you walk in like a deer in headlights. You're probably hung over from the night before. You don't even know what you're getting into. You just know you need help. And so I sit down at this table, and a gentleman walks up and he sits down next to me, and he says, "You know, your first meeting?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he reached out his hand he said, "How you doing? I'm JD." And it was the guy, my dad gave me his number three months before, and he just happened to be sitting at that table when I sat down. Wow,
0: that's crazy. And
1: uh, so at that time, I should have known I should never drink alcohol again. I stayed sober for almost a decade because I knew how to live sober and went through a tough time in my life, picked up a bottle. Um, you know, I, I had done a bunch of stuff in between, you know, as you know, uh, wrote a book, created a TV show, was doing positive things out in the world, still skateboarding professionally. Um, And and doing good stuff I I had already started studying spirituality I knew meditation I knew diet I knew the things And you can read all the books you want And until you take action And make make changes in your habitual daily life Nothing's gonna matter But um, went through a tough time Decided drinking was the right thing Came up with a decision in my head That I'd done everything That I'm gonna do in this world And so I'm gonna drink myself to death Wow. And, um, and then it just progressed from there.
0: Gerald, and I just want to let everybody know too, the National Drug and Alcohol Treatment Hotline is 1-800-662-HELP. Again, that's 1-800-662-4357. Again, 1-800-662-4357. If you're listening to this podcast or this radio show and you need help, again, that's the number one 800 662 help.
1: Thank you for sharing that, Johnny. And also, you know, anybody, anybody, you listen to this show, you know, somebody, you have questions, you can reach out to me privately, Facebook, Instagram. I try to answer every single message I get. Yeah, that's Um, awesome. And so you can reach out with any questions, comments, concerns. I even, you know, I I help people one-on-one all the time. So
0: Gerald, what led you to the decision to become sober? What was that aha moment? What was that decision? That you became sober.
1: I'm going to say divine intervention um, because I had been to rehab three times. So you started out in rehab then? I was drinking to die, John. You know, at the time I had a good job. My skateboard career was good, but, you know, I went through a divorce. I was in a house with my cat. Nobody was going to tell me no. And it just progressed from there. And I. Carol,
0: can I ask you something? I'm just going to back up just yeah. for a second. And I, I'm getting real personal here, but that's why we're here. We're here to help people. And I know that it might be tough for you to answer. It's tough for me to even ask, but I'm going to ask you this Did you want to die?
1: Every day, every single day I did. And I'll tell you, that's what my goal was. You know, I had already succeeded by everybody else's standards up to that point. And, you know, I mean, think about it professional athlete, author. TV show, podcast, freaking all that. You know, that looks cool to everybody else. And it wasn't doing it for me. And I, I wanted to die. So I, I drank enough to quit showing up to a great job. I had a great job and I just quit showing up. I'm like, I got money in the bank. I don't have to show up anymore. Didn't ride my skateboard much. Didn't get off the couch much. Two fifths a day, about, I think. Really? And now, are, are
0: the fifth? I don't. I don't drink that much. So, is a fifth the big bottles?
1: That's a gallon. I would buy uh, a fifth. Is a lot. Okay. If somebody drinks a fifth in a day, they're putting it away and they probably need help. Okay. And I was averaging about one and a half to two. So it wasn't a pint. Th- no, <laughs> it was, no, it was the bigger. Ones. They didn't make a bottle of vodka big enough. And um, wow.
0: Would would, would you wake up in the morning starting the drink?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I'd wake up if I woke up at any time in the middle of the night, there'd be a bottle next to me. I'd take a drink, go back to sleep. Wow. And then I'd wake up in the morning and and if I did ride my skateboard, I just kept it together enough to go out and skate or go whatever, you know? Did people
0: know know that, that you had a problem or did you hide it?
1: You can hide it for a while and you think people don't know. But I was playing drums. Oh, I left this out. I play drums. I was playing drums in a touring punk rock band and I drank myself out of a partying punk rock band because I became so unreliable. I'd be like, no, I'm not feeling good today. They knew. They knew. I, I, they, you could smell it from three area codes away, man. Like everybody knew. That is
0: so not like you. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know you back then. Mm. I didn't know that Gerald. I know this, Gerald. And like, you're not late for anything. Matter of fact, you're early for everything. So I never met that guy. So I can't even comprehend sitting here with you in the studio talking about this because I never knew that guy. So,
1: and that's what most say because I did drink alone. You know, I'd go out with my friends before it got so out of hand. I'd go out with my friends and make sure they all got home from the bar good. And then once I got them home from the bar, I knew I had like a fifth at home. And I would go home and drink all night long by myself. But uh, yeah, you know, that's what I did. At one point I had 40% vodka in my blood, my heart was stopping. That didn't stop me from drinking. I know I, 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 I uh, mentioned something to you in the, in the, uh, when we were talking pre-show and I'm going to get into it right now, because the first time I was going to go to rehab, I finally agreed. I'm like, yep, I need to go. I need to go. And they couldn't get me in. Michigan has one of the top five rehab facilities in the country in Brighton Center for Recovery. People come from all over the world to go to this facility and they couldn't get me in for a week. So I was out of hand. Like, I mean, there's times I woke up bloody in my guest bedroom and I wasn't sure if it was my blood or somebody else's blood. Like, that's how bad, you know, took headers down steps, wake up looking like Rocky Balboa and be like, OK. And I couldn't wait to get another bottle. Well, anyway, I agreed to go to rehab. And my girlfriend at the time, she was just like, what the what the, what? The? And uh, but they can't get me in for a week. And so my family tells my girlfriend, well, take them to the emergency room. And I had a little tiny pistol in the house. And they were like, she mentioned something that I mentioned a gun. So we go to the hospital. My alcohol level is like 0.30. And I sign myself in. That's how much my tolerance. I should have been hammered. Right. And um, I sign myself in. And she says, you know, he, he said something about a gun. So they put me in immediately like that. They, they put, put me you in where? Like in the insane ward. Because I'm I'm a suicide risk. And I'm a ward of the state now. So I can't make any decisions. The state makes the decisions for me. And I'm sitting in here and it's straight up like crazy. Like people strapped to tables, screaming, yelling. I'm trying to do crossword puzzles. I can't even write. So the next morning, the social worker comes in and I'm like, I'm a drunk. I'm a drunk. I'm going to rehab in a week. You know, I'm I'm a drunk. And they said, "Okay, well, we're going to take you someplace.
0: Gerald, how old were you at that point? So I was, I don't know.
1: 42 43 oh wow i didn't start I, i let me back up a little bit i was straight edge most of my life i did not drink a beer till i was 25 years old And then I got after it hard and then I quit for 10 years.
0: Wow. That's why I asked because I thought for sure that this was like in your early 20s or something, but no, you're, you're a full grown man.
1: Yeah. I was done again. You're an adult. The decision was made. I did everything I was going to do on this planet and I'm going to drink myself to death. So it looks like an accident. So nobody will be mad at me. Wow. And, um, but yeah, they checked me in the psych ward, right? And the lady's like, yeah, I social work coming in the morning. I'm like, cool. So, and I'm out of my ham. You know, I've been drinking, you know, I'm going through detox right there. I'm freaking shaking. I'm crazy. Um, and um, they're like, okay, we're going to take you to this facility. Facility in the gnarliest part of Detroit. And it's an insane asylum. I said, you know, can I talk to my girlfriend and my dad? And they follow the ambulance in a car to the insane asylum. I say, can I just talk to my girlfriend and my dad? And they're like, no, nope, there's a phone upstairs. You can talk to her when they get there. So they let me talk to him for a second. They moved me upstairs. And luckily, the guy bringing me in knew I was an alcoholic. I wasn't crazy. And I, I'm not even kidding. It was one, one floor with a cuckoo's nest. Like, they roll me in. And there's people in glass rooms throwing chairs. There's people walking around talking to themselves. And they put me in the back corner. And I can't do anything. My dad can't come get me out. He's going to get arrested. I cannot get out of this place until the state says I can. And I'm in this room with a lifetime criminal. He's over doing prison workouts at this point. They're not really helping me much. So I'm hallucinating my cats with me and different things by the third day. And I'm like no shoelaces in my shoes. I mean, it's 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 the loony bin. And people are asking me uh, by the third day. They're like, are you a counselor here? Cause I was, the fog was lifting and I'm like, no, you see, I don't have any shoelaces, you know, and that should have, should have made a difference and it did not.
0: I was just going to ask you, did that scare
1: you straight? No, no. I was there for a week and I got out on, uh, I'm like, can I just go home and see my cat? I just want to see my cat. I'm going to freaking rehab on Tuesday. Can Mm -hmm. I just go home and see my cat? And I'm freaking out. You know, I'm like, I just want to get out of here. And then on that, I think it was that actually that Sunday morning, the social worker comes in and, he, and she just goes, oh, let me back up. First night, I'm in my bed. And this doctor comes in. And I'm telling you, it's, it was a movie. It was a freak. It was like Clockwork Orange. It was crazy. Like, they put me in this bed and this doctor comes in. Like, it seemed like midnight to me. It turns on his light. He says, Mr. Valley, I understand you want to get out of here. And I said, you know what, wait a minute, let me get up and wash my face. And he like put his hand on my shoulder and he's like, you can just sit right there. And he said, I understand you want to get out of here. And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, you can go and try to get out of here and I can just petition the court and keep you for 90 days. And I said, nah, whatever, you know, I'm still half out of it. Yeah. And he's like, you're going to stay here with us for a while. And in the morning, you're going to get up, get your meds. And I said, well, I don't take any meds. And he just looked at me. And in my view of it, it was like the mad scientist. And he just looked at me and he's like, now you do. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Right. So they finally, I get out of there. It unscathed. Everything works out. You know, I'm a people person. So I'm making friends with everybody. And then on that Tuesday morning, I was, I was waffling. I'm like, I'm not going. I'm not going. And then finally I made the decision to go, went and spent three weeks in Brighton and that, you know, I did what I do. I learned everything. I was, you know, teacher's pet, did more homework than everybody else. I'm like, all right, this is cool. I'm going to stay sober. That wasn't it because I didn't embrace the program, the spirituality side of it. You can quit drinking but or drugging or whatever your thing is, but... But until you make some conscious, habitual changes in your thought process and the things you do every day, you will eventually go right back to it. It's a it's a daily operation that um, eventually, again, after three visits to Brighton, I walked in February 2nd, 2017. I don't know what it was, John. You know, I was at a point I had, you know... A, Three hundred and fifty credit score, no money in my bank account, foreclosure notices coming. Then putting my car on a car hauler. Um, I just walked in and looked in the mirror, and I'm like, "If we're gonna die, let's do this right now. Let's quit putting people through hell. And if we're not gonna die, let's figure out a way out of this." And that day, I, I, I'm, I'm blaming it on something bigger than me, you know that day. The analogy I like to use is if, if if somebody told me I had to crawl on glass on my knees to Antarctica to stay sober, I would have got on my knees and crawled to Antarctica to do whatever I had to do to stay sober.
0: So that was your aha moment. Yeah. You remember it like it was yesterday. Just
1: like it was yesterday, man.
0: So let me back up then. Who or what made you an alcoholic? Were you hanging out with the wrong crowd? Were you the type that just liked
1: it uh, no i always hung out with the wrong crowd like always that didn't make a difference you know i i always was hanging out i had plenty of friends who were waking and, wake and bake kind of guys you know my best friend from life case of beer every night I, that wasn't it it was like i was trying to escape from something that i couldn't escape from by reading a book
0: gerald you just said something and you didn't blame anybody else you blamed you and I think that that's a huge life lesson for people. People love to blame others for their mistakes. And I'm literally getting goosebumps right now thinking about what you just said. You took the responsibility. And I think that, that maybe that was part of it, of you being able to look in the mirror and say, you know, this I did this. I found this quote. I just thought it was so good. It says, rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. Let me repeat that. Rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. That reminds me of exactly what you're talking about. You had to hit rock bottom physically, mentally, spiritually, financially, everything.
1: Yeah, I tried to give it away. Like, it didn't take it from me. I was willfully giving my life away. And, you know, to speak on, on what sobriety has given me, you know, it caused me to look deeper into the physiological things of uh, sobriety. Like I dug seriously over the last seven years, you know, prior, prior to getting out of hand and erasing myself from life, I was already speaking on stages. I was inspiring people Mm -hmm. and all this kind of thing. And I started digging deep and I realized the first 43 years of my life, I had, and and you guys are gonna laugh in the crowd if you look me up, but um I had horrible self esteem. I needed crowds to tell me how cool I was. I needed I needed something else to give me value. And um maybe that was it. You know, maybe I got to a point in my life where I'm like, All right, you know, I did all these things and 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 I, I have nothing left to give, so they can't give me value, so I have no value, so I might as well drink myself to death. Um choosing to to get sober choosing to put myself first because I wanted to, not because I was getting threatened by the law, because I was getting threatened by other people, it all of a sudden gave me this internal value.
0: Did you ever get in trouble with the law? Like, did you ever get a DUI? Did you ever, uh, did you ever get to a point you said you lost your job, that, that, that you were stealing or anything like that? I mean, you're looking at me kind of funny right now, and I don't mean to ask these personal questions, but I have to.
1: No, I didn't. <laughs> I have never seen the inside of a jail cell and I've never gotten a ticket, but I will tell you, I was about a block from my house coming home, hammered, fifth under my seat and um, I was pulling out of a street and a guy was going by and he was going to park like along the curb and I bumped hit the back of his car. I hit him. I was drunk and I get out of my car and I'm like half block from my house and I get out of my car and he's pissed. And he looks at me and he's like, you drunk? And I'm like, yep, I am. And he's flaming mad, taking a picture of my license, all this kind of thing. He lets me drive my car home. And he's like, I know where you live. I, I got to think about this. And I barely touched his car. So he tells me, and this is about three months before I got sober. He tells me um, it's going to cost 175 bucks to rub that out and fix it. I said, I'll have the money in the mailbox by Thursday. I I I leave the money in the mailbox. He comes and picks it up. He sends me a text. You seem like a guy who's down on his luck and I'm gonna give you a chance. And I can't imagine what would have happened that day if I did get a DUI in the state that I was in. Right. I saw the gentleman two years later. He, um and I see him because he still lives right around the corner. That's where he lives. And I'm I'm pulling around and I see him and I stop and I wait and and I get all choked up. Cause I, I'd say his name and he looks at me and he's like, do I know you? And I said, I'm Gerald. And he's like, oh, you look a little different. (laughs) And I said, you know, I, I, I've been sober. It was probably a couple of years. I've been sober a couple of years now and I, I can't thank you enough for what you did. And I said, if you need anything, you need a hand around the house. You need, you need a ride somewhere. You need anything. You, you, you can come ask me. And I saw him about a year ago. I stopped again. And I saw him getting out of his car, and I'm like, "Hey!" And he's like, "No way, Gerald!" What's-? <laughs> and he got a big smile. And I said, "Coming up, you know, on seven years sober, man." And I can't thank you enough. Did he take the money from you to fix his car? Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay, I'm yep. just curious. I didn't know if he gave it back to you. No, nope,
1: he, he did. And, and uh, but every time I see him, I get choked up because I can't. That you know, he gave me a chance. He was that, your angel that night. And, that's and, for and sure. That was uh, November of '16 uh, when that happened.
0: Gerald, who or what played a significant role? In supporting you during your recovery?
1: A lot of people, but my mom has always been um, a big part of my life and my dad. My mom, though, the first time I went to rehab, she actually read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to try to understand what I was going through, and that's pretty cool because when your support system, when the people around you are willing to understand that... Your sobriety comes first, because if I go pick up a drink, the rest of my life is over. I guarantee it. I'll be dead in three days. I know that in my heart, because I, I, we saw it happen to Amy Winehouse. She picked up on Friday and was dead on Sunday. That will be me. But um, my family, my family uh, was so huge in supporting, supporting my sobriety.
0: What do you say to the people, not they're listening, going, you know what, I may have a problem. Everything Gerald's talking about, I'm going through right now. But what about the families? What advice could you give those families? Did your mom do the right thing by, by picking up the book and reading it? Did your mom and dad do the right thing by, by supporting you? Should they have been you know, more aggressive when it came to tough love? I mean, I don't know. So what advice could you give the people that, that are listening right now saying, hey, listen, I, I have somebody in my life. I need to do something about it. Because not everybody wants help.
1: And you can't save somebody who doesn't want it. Uh, It's got to come from within them, ultimately. Uh, Sometimes the law and threats from loved ones can help you get in the door, and maybe that can open your eyes. Um, Oftentimes, that that doesn't work. Uh, You know, my mom, she said, I never, when I came by to see you, I never grabbed the bottles out of, uh, I never, that's not my job, that's your job. That's your job to do that. I, I, you know, I know you'll go get more, you know, that's not my job. Um, but for the, the people uh, around watching somebody do that, do this to themselves, because ultimately that's what it is. I can say you made me do it. No, I went and got the drink or drug and did mm-hmm. that. Um, it's challenging because you don't want to be an enabler. You don't want to, you know, uh, continue to help them down that road, but But they have to hit rock bottom, and sometimes that means walking away from that relationship, even when it's your family. Sometimes that means the tough love kind of thing, which isn't easy, Um, but it ultimately has to come from inside that person to decide, I want a better life, and there is hope. And once they make that decision... You support the heck out of that, you know. If they yeah. need rides to meetings, I mean, I I have friends who their mom or wife had to drive into the skate park because they lost their license, but they're supported by their families when they made that positive choice.
0: You just told me a story the other day about a friend of yours reached out to you and said, "My friend relapsed. Can you please pick up the phone and call her? Can you go ahead and just tell tell me again?" But all the listeners. Uh, what that meant for you, but also what it meant for her to be able to have somebody call her that's been through it, right? I, You could call me, but I've never been through it. I don't know what it's like to have to have a drink. I, I don't know. So it's hard to talk to somebody that doesn't know, Yes, I can be, you know, a sounding ear for you. Yes, I could give you a hug. Yes, I could be that person, but I've never been through it. I don't know mentally what it's like to want to have, you know, another dose of medicine or another drink.
1: Well, as an addict or an alcoholic, your brain all of a sudden equivocates whatever that substance is with survival. The way you have to breathe, the way you're like, man, I have to eat something today. It's survival for you. And that's the way we view those things. Uh, Relapse never happens that day. It's usually there's a lead up to it. And addiction is ultimately a pleasure problem. We have a problem equivocating pleasure. We have a hedonistic set point issue. And that thing gives us that pleasure that nothing else can and so when my friend said you know can you talk to her and she'd been sober almost a year and went out she didn't do anything crazy didn't destroy her life did it was honest about it went and visited a friend for the weekend and we we talked and we talked about where she was mentally and where she what led up to that you know and it was it was a fight with this person it was this it was that it was the other thing not being supported and um And I offered up some tools because it does happen. It does. It's common. The national average is anybody who tries to get sober seriously tries to get sober. The average is two to three relapses. I myself, after February 2nd, and I had been in and out. I'd been to meetings. I, I, I never really wanted to quit. Up until February 2nd, I haven't looked back since then. But when a relapse does happen, one thing sobriety teaches you is unadulterated honesty with yourself and the people around you. And for the people who who do subscribe to 12 step programs, you can walk into a meeting. I was at a table a couple of weeks ago and a lady, you know, great lady, you know, she went out the week before, but she was honest about it. She's like, I don't I'm not sure why I did it. I'm getting back to the meetings. I'm getting back to my support group. And a lot of us don't do that. A lot of us don't. Um, but for the you know, for me, I know I will die. That's the number one right. motivator that I don't yeah. pick up. I'll be dead. <laughs> so
0: what is it, what's the common rule? If you're out with somebody, let's say me and you are out. And, and and listen, now Now that I'm about to ask you this question, we have, you've been to one of my speaking gigs and I've had, you know, a couple beers after the speaking gig with, you know, with, with the people that hired me. Um, but for the people out there trying to support somebody that is an alcoholic or a drug abuser, is it okay to ask gerald cuz i know that i asked you is it okay if i have a drink and you said yeah absolutely it doesn't bother me what what is the rule what is the written or the unwritten rule for somebody that is a drinker with somebody that is a non-drinker or trying to be sober
1: it's it's different for everybody you know most of my friends respect it you know they they won't even ask or sometimes they do and there's times I'm on a skate trip and I'll pull over to the liquor store before we get there so everybody can get their stuff. You know, there's some people that that's a trigger. They can't be around it at all. And if you're around them, you respect that. And you're like, you know what? They can't be. I don't have to drink tonight. You know, we're going out to dinner. I can drink a glass of water or a lemonade. I don't have to drink. It's whatever works, whatever is going to support the person that's on the recovery journey, whatever that is. For me, it's my deal. I take big responsibility for every part of my life and so it's my deal and if it's going to bother me you know what bothers me being around people who are getting too drunk i don't <laughs> like being around drunks but uh, <laughs> uh, if you were you know if if you were sitting you know, having a beer right now, or you're like, you know, it's, it's Friday night, we're hanging out and you're like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pour myself a brandy. Is that cool? Yeah, that's fine. You know, because I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with where I'm at, but it's different for each person, whatever those triggers are, you try to stay away from them as someone in sobriety.
0: I want to remind everybody once again, the national drug and alcohol treatment hotline is 1-800-662-HELP. And again, 1-800-662-4357. If you are having a problem with alcohol or drugs, pick up the phone. Just like Gerald, you did that. You called the 1-800-662-4357 and you asked for help. Somebody talked you into getting help. So again, if you or if you know somebody that they need to talk to somebody, don't don't be ashamed, right, Gerald?
1: That's it, that's it. And right now it's pretty cool because 24 hours a day you can find a meeting online you can find a meeting online so even if you're just inquisitive you're like i might have a problem the biggest thing i can i can suggest is if you think you have a problem two things one is it causing you issues in your life and your relationships even if you have a beer or six uh is it causing you issues with your professional career with your personal relationships you might have a problem maybe look at it number two just try quitting anything that you think you might be addicted to for a month and see how, how your life looks. The first two weeks is going to be a little tough. Those second two weeks, you might realize, wow, life gets better. So uh, those two little uh, uh, tests can really let you know if you might have an issue.
0: What positive changes have you noticed in your life since you became sober seven years ago?
1: Biggest, biggest thing is self-love. Self-love. I value myself. I value myself in, in and I can I can I have I have a weird confidence. Like a weird confidence and I know that weird I weird in a good way? In a great way. Yeah. Like I have to do what's right for me and sometimes that's challenging. That and, and gratitude. Gratitude is the most important um, thing. You know, now I, I'm I'm so thankful to remember where I go to bed at night to, I'm thankful for the pillow that I put my head on. I'm thankful that I have a roof over my head. I'm thankful that I can wake up the next day and, and make uncomfortable, have uncomfortable conversations or, or cha- get through some challenges and not have to just go escape from it.
0: Can you share an inspiring story or maybe an accomplishment that contributed to your sobriety. This is a question that I want you to answer because you have so many accomplishments, you have so many stories of people of you helping people. And that's and that and that's part of it. Now you you, you have used what you've been through and you're making a living now going to facilities and speaking to people that are going through the same Thing that you fight every single day and that is not to pick up a bottle or not to do
1: drugs Well, and you bring up a great point because i've connected with some people that come up from ohio And they bring skateboarders from halfway houses down near cleveland And, and they come up, you know, once a month and, and the gentleman, Jeff Schill is bringing more and they're like, yeah, you know, he's one of us. And, you know, some guys, you know that, you know, you, I spoke at Sacred Heart recently and it's 140 people. And because of my previous notoriety, there's people in the audience who knew who I was or, or they're like, yeah, I used to skate, blah, blah, blah. I remember seeing you, blah, blah, blah. And they're in recovery. And there's people I don't even know come up like in tears going, you know, what you said you know, really resonated with me and thank you for being here. And then even the staff understanding it. So the more, you know, we can, we can reach out and, and touch more lives as you do, Johnny, you know, you touch a lot of lives with your, you know, your outstanding message and the more we can share that, that's a gift that I get to give that seven years ago. That wasn't in my radar, man. (laughs) That wasn't on my radar. My radar was, you know, I did enough.
0: So Gerald, uh, I know that you're an author two or three- time author, but are there any books, podcasts or resources that you found helpful in your sobriety journey that you can share with others?
1: Oh man, I'll tell you what if you're an analytical person, Dr. Kevin McCauley is is a great resource. Um, he has a ton of YouTube stuff and he takes it from an analytical standpoint. Uh, I really like him. Uh, Richroll. He does a lot. He's in recovery. His podcast is wonderful. As far as books, a lot of people get screwed up. Like they don't, they don't like the God part of AA. And there's uh, an organization called Refuge Recovery, which is Buddhism and the 12 Steps uh, and recovery. Noah Levine does a great job and you can find them all over social media and on the internet. You can find what works for you. There is no one size fits all. You know, I go to 12-step meetings, not all the time, but I go to them. I, I, I read Refuge Recovery. I listen to Kevin McCauley. I like learning about why I am the way I am. And so there's tons of wonderful resources out there that you can go down a wormhole of sobriety and it's just gonna help every other part of your life.
0: Gerald, you know, there might be people out there right now wondering the same thing I'm about to ask you. Can an alcoholic or drug abuser that's sober now, be involved with somebody that does those things.
1: Very challenging. Yeah. Very challenging. The odds you have, and I'm, I'm, I live that. Right. Um, if you're married to somebody, you quit drinking, they do not. It can work, but unfortunately, 80% of the time that that relationship will will separate you will separate from that person because it's very challenging to be around it and and not eventually get back to that point. So you have to do what's best for you, whatever that is. And and sometimes walking away from somebody you love is challenging, but you have to remember you are the most important person in your life. And if you, don't, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anything else. You
0: know, I've kind of just asked you about the books and stuff like that, but what strategies or tools have you found most helpful in maintaining your sobriety?
1: Uh, definitely having a structure, which, you know, as well as I do in the line of work that we're in where our lives aren't structured, you know, every day is so different and you might be on the road one day and, and then next week you're at home alone, you know, <laughs> just and like you, this week, right? You could very well <laughs> pick up a bottle on Monday, sober up on Friday, eventually it's going to run its course and you're going to lose everything. You're going to not lose it. You're going to give away everything. Yeah. Um, the strategies for me is structure. I have a solid morning routine. I do every day. I have a great sober community that I talk to on a regular basis. Um, oftentimes, people are swinging by the house. We'll sit on the porch and have a meeting. For me, it was it was surrounding myself and tailoring my message now towards helping people stay sober. That helps me stay sober. One alcoholic helping another. Great, great philosophy that... Um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous preaches, but um, definitely just, it's figuring it out, you know, figuring out what works for you and what is not gonna work for you. Some people don't like meetings, some people do.
0: Whatever works for you. Do you encourage
1: outreach work to help others on their path? 100%, 100% because I can share, as you brought up within this podcast, I can share from a place that somebody who hasn't been in it the, the empathy, you can have empathy for what I've went through, but not necessarily understand. Like a craving. People say, I crave chocolate. I say I crave, I crave alcohol. My, my heart's racing till 2.01 a.m. Because then I can't get to the liquor store. The cravings are different. I can understand that. A normal person might not be able to.
0: Should people make it public that they're sober? You know, there, there are people that want to keep it private. There are people that just want to plaster it all over social media. What do you, like? What works for you? I, I know that it took you a while to, to say, at least on social media that, Hey, listen, you know, I'm an alcoholic and now you're making a living doing it. You know what I mean? Uh, speaking for these uh, men and women out there that, that, that need that encouragement, but should people be private about it? I mean, it, I, I, I know you're going to say, well, it could go both ways, right? But what do you say?
1: Service work is very important. Um, one, one alcoholic or addict helping another is part of the sober program. And it can be anonymous. It can be, you know, working with somebody at a meeting because alcoholics, anonymous, anonymous.
0: Okay, but I'm talking about social media. They're, they're, people are afraid because people are going to judge them
1: all of a sudden. And that's one of the things I'm trying to combat against is a stigma of recovery. Uh, you know, for a long time, it was about a 6% success rate. You know, you got about a 3% uh success rate of being a professional athlete. You might get on stage playing music 5%. Those are the people we get to run with in sobriety, the rock stars. And that's our, our, where our percentages are of success. We don't got a good chance, man. We just don't. And so the people that are in sobriety, I'm like, you're a freaking rock star. You 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 beat the odds. That's awesome. And when two two alcoholics or addicts get together, it's a meeting and you can talk on a level. You can crack jokes that somebody else wouldn't laugh at. But you will, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, you will. And so the service work is important. I waited two years before I even made it public. Was it because you were embarrassed? Because I wanted to be solid in my sobriety you know, and, and accountability is huge. And so some people who do put it on social media and they have a following, maybe it's that accountability they need every day. Maybe it's that, 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 that helps them stay sober every day. For me, I share messages of hope because when you are in it, sometimes you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm, I'm saying, yeah, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and I want to help you get there.
0: Is there a particular message of hope or encouragement you'd like to share with the listeners?
1: You know, I think the whole show has embodied hope and encouragement. I talked about almost, almost giving everything away and, (laughs) and, and now getting it back and it got, I got it back through hard work. I didn't immediately jump into, you know, the spotlight getting into sobriety. I went back to blue collar work, man. I had to, I had to, you know, cut my teeth. I had to earn, you know, nine to five, all that stuff to get it back. Um, But my thing is, is, you know what, reaching out could be the most important decision you've ever made. It could save your life. And and I encourage you to reach out to me privately if you, if you want. Um, all of that is, is very confidential. I don't share that information with anybody.
0: And how can they follow you?
1: Income, Gerald Valley. I use my real name. There's no craziness on uh, Facebook, Instagram. The Stoke is real.com tells a little bit more about my, my story. Uh, but really, sending me a private message through Facebook or Instagram will probably get answered the quickest. Um, and, and and if you follow my feed, it's all positivity, a little bit of punk rock here and there, a little bit of skateboarding here and there, <laughs> but it's motivation and positivity to build people up, um, to, to be exactly that we got so much power, man, we have so much power within. And I want to remind people that, that they have that.
0: And this is a time in our lives right now that we don't need to be, um, uh, Separated. We need to come together, and if that means helping one person at a time, and then 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 that then that's fine. I, I once heard a, a quote, and it says, you know, we may not change the whole world, but we can change the whole world for one person. Yeah, you know, and it rem- reminded me of something I read this morning. Um, and somebody wrote, "When I got sober, I thought giving up was saying goodbye to all the fun and all the sparkle, and it turned out." to be just the opposite. That's when the sparkle started for me.
1: I couldn't agree more because for me, I didn't want to get off the couch, man. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to socialize. The only time I left was to go get another bottle. I shut off my phone, locked my door, and now I can get up in the morning, go on a bike ride, wave to everybody in the park with a smile on my face because I'm alive. I'm alive and that's pretty cool. I have an opportunity to experience life. And that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, 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 rock bottom. I mean, you, you brought up a couple of great quotes, man. We, 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 we could do this show for three, four, five segments know, right? because <laughs> rock bottom does teach us so much. And failure has taught me more in my life than the successes of it. And the ultimate failure was trying to ultimately kill myself and to say, I don't want to do this and dig out of that. Anybody listening, who is having a tough time, the the pride and the self-esteem and the self-worth of making the decision to save your own life, there's nothing that compares to that. Nothing that compares to that. And getting past that, now some of those dreams and goals you have outside of uh, just sobriety, those are attainable because you just did something harder than almost anything in your life. Yeah.
0: 100%.
1: And so starting a dream, getting a business, writing a book, those are freaking molehills, man. Yeah. You know, you just climbed a mountain that most don't. Exactly. And you basically did it alone. You have to do it. You have to do it for
0: yourself. Exactly. I was just going to say, you got to do it for you. You, you, You've said it three or four times during the show that you have to want it. I can't want it for you. I can help you and I can I can support you, but I can't make that decision for you.
1: And Johnny, if I quit drinking for you, right? I quit drinking because you threaten me. You're going to kick my butt. Um, the minute you irritate me, you do something I don't like. So now I go. You do it again. I'm going to drink. Mm-hmm. You know, or I go drink and I'm like, well, you said something I didn't like, so I'm yeah. drunk again. And and so having that that solid foundation within yourself. To go, yeah, John ticked me off, but I'm going to go bike eight miles and work it off. Because the science of it is, again, it's a pleasure issue and it's a dopamine issue. And so when you can replace that dopamine with something you love, if it's knitting a sweater, if it's reading a book, if it, whatever, if it's meditation, when you can replace that with that, it helps get past that hurdle.
0: Or looking at your family saying, do I want to be that father? Do I right. want to be that mother to those kids right there? Is that going to raise them the right way? That's motivation. What, what, and, and, and again, you, you've said this so many times today. Whatever it is that is going to spark that fire within you, then use it. If it's your family if it's the ability to uh, be more successful in life, whatever it is, use that for your motivation, for your inspiration.
1: And that's just gonna make a difference in every other part of your life, every single other part of your life. You know, um, For me, it's death. That, that's what my main motivation was. Um, but I have, you know, there's plenty of people, you know, they're uh, over the toilet and their two-year-old daughter comes in and is the one holding their hair. And that's what they get to look at. And they made the decision that day. I don't want my son or daughter to watch that all day. What are your goals still? My goals this year, uh, between now and the end of 2024, is to, to reach a million people. Uh, I'm working on some initiatives with some big companies. Well, I just helped you, you know, with about ten, fifteen thousand people listening. Yeah, this is part of my goal. Thank you, every listener. Thank you. Share it out as much as you can, and let's continue to spread the message because you know. It, it, it doesn't, the disease doesn't discriminate. And if you're not in the disease camp, that's fine too. I, I embrace you as well, but it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't make it, it matter if you're making a million bucks or you're living under a bridge. Addiction does not discriminate and it touches each and every one of our lives. And we're all addicted to something. Something.
0: When you go to meetings- can you just show up for the for the people listening right now that just say hey listen that that that's it today's the day Gerald you inspired me you motivated me to to just go somewhere and get help can anybody just show up at a meeting
1: yep You can walk in the door and they'll know, you can tell it's nerve wracking because you don't know what you're walking into and you walk in, introduce yourself and say, it's my first meeting. And I guarantee you there's somebody there that's going to say, Hey, walk with me. Let's get a cup of coffee and let's talk about
0: it. I think I know this answer, but I'm going to ask you anyways, meditation or exercise to stress relief during recovery.
1: First meditation then exercise. I knew it was um, both. Meditation's tough early on in sobriety cuz your your freaking hamster wheel brain is tough to calm down and so to get your body moving will help with that dopamine thing.
0: Attending in person a uh, AA meeting or participating in online recovery communities.
1: I like the energy of people. So I like to see people in person. I like that. Um, but because I mean, there's, there's goods and bads of social media. One of the greatest things is you can get to a meeting any time of the day or night. If you feel like you have to
0: reading self-help books or attending therapy sessions for personal growth.
1: I think both are very helpful. Um, again, I like the energy of people. So I like talking to people. So I would say therapy made a huge impact, and that's uh, one of the things I get to do now. So that's cool.
0: Uh, with only a couple minutes left, is there any last remarks that, that you have, Gerald? you got a minute to go ahead and say whatever you want.
1: You know, if, if you think you have an issue, you probably do. You know, you probably do, and, and I encourage you to reach out. There is a better life, there, and there is always hope. I don't care where you are in your life. There is always hope. And it's not a comparison thing. It's what works for you. And if it's AA that works for you, if it's, you know, texting, messaging me every morning, I get messages every morning from, from the West Coast, different friends saying, you know, hey, gee, uh, today is day 46. And and I'll say, how you feeling? You, you find what works for you. But if If something you're doing, if there's a substance or something you're doing that's having a negative impact on your life, I encourage you to look a little deeper and say, what would life, or maybe even visualize, what would life look like without this? How would that look for me? And, um, you know, we work very hard in our addictions trying to find it. Just imagine if you put that energy into your family, into a business, into your profession, like what would that look like? Think about how, think about what you just said.
0: How big that if. if they just take half of that energy that they that they use for drinking or or abusing drugs, half of that energy, maybe a quarter of that energy,
1: they'd for, I, they'd probably be millionaires. Take over the freaking world. You're exactly right, John. You're exact because we get crazy, man. Yeah, looking for money in the couches. Freaking, I was siphoning gas out of my lawnmower to put in my car, so I had gas to get to the liquor store. We get nuts and very resourceful. Yeah, to put that into something positive. And again, how can people find you? Uh, Gerald Valley, uh, G-A-R-O-L-D-V-A-L-L-I-E on social media. Drop me a line. Even if you have a question, man, just drop me a line. If you think you may, uh, want to travel down the road to recovery, if you have questions about your loved ones, you know, what you can do, drop me a line and we can talk about it.
0: And if people want to hire you to come speak at their facility, how can they find you? Same
1: places? Same places. You can also email, uh, life, M-A-V, M-A-V, at gmail.com.
0: And again, that National Drug and Alcohol Treatment Hotline is 1-800-662-HELP, 1-800-662-4357. I'm Johnny D., the Motivational Cowboy, telling you, be safe, have fun, and have yourself an outstanding day. Carol, thanks again
1: for hanging out, man. Thank you, Johnny, and thank you all for listening.
0: We've had the privilege of hearing from Gerald Valley, whose personal journey has shown us the incredible strength and determination that sobriety can bring to one's life. His story is a testament to the fact that no matter how difficult the path may be, there's always hope and recovery is possible. I want to thank Gerald for sharing his personal journey and insights with us today. Your passion for helping others on their path to sobriety is truly inspiring. And your resilience is a shining example for all. If you missed any part of this show, remember that you can find Outstanding Life Podcasts on all major platforms or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Outstanding Life. Be sure to subscribe, share, and stay tuned for more empowering conversations that will continue to enrich your journey. Until next time, keep living your outstanding life. I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy, telling you, be safe, have fun, and have yourself an outstanding day. Hey, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Are you planning a conference, convention, meeting, assembly, or any live event that needs a guest speaker? I would love to be a part of it. For more information, visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And don't forget to check out my Outstanding Life podcast every Sunday here on Dirt Road Radio, KYDT, 103.1 FM, and KBFS, 1450 AM. Have an outstanding day.